the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 262 CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Now, if it was this hard for one Jewish family of that day to believe in Jesus, then imagine the formidable task facing the Apostle Peter as he stands on the day of Pentecost before thousands of Jewish people in the city of Jerusalem, many of them hostile towards Christ, many of them the same ones who only a few weeks earlier had cried out to Pontius Pilate, crucify him, and here stands Peter giving them a sermon, attempting to persuade them that the one they rejected and crucified is their Messiah. The sermon Peter preached on the day he received the Holy Spirit must have been quite an emotional experience for him. He was facing a highly intimidating crowd, giving a message of supreme importance to people he loved deeply. And not to mention having, for the first time, the Holy Spirit, the promised helper, giving him all he needed in order to deliver exactly what God wanted him to say. It was a spectacular event, in the life of the church. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, Pastor Steve begins his final message in a series of lessons from Acts chapter 2 about Peter's great sermon on Pentecost. Like a courageous veterinarian entering the cage of a wounded lion, Peter stood before a crowd of hostile people who had already killed the Messiah and told them exactly what they needed to hear, regardless of the consequences. Grab your Bible if you have it with you. Here's Pastor Steve with today's lesson. If you are not Jewish, then it might be difficult for you to understand how hard it is for a Jewish person today to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I understand that in one sense, it's not only hard, it's actually impossible for any of us to believe in Jesus without the the grace of God in our lives, regenerating us and granting us the gifts of faith and repentance to trust Christ for salvation. But in another sense, becoming a Christian for a Jewish person holds some, some real challenges as certainly in the case of anyone brought up in an ethnic heritage with strong ties to its culture and its religion. And the reason for such challenges is just the high cost that a Jewish person often has to pay when they become a Christian. Very likely, he will lose his Jewish friends who will want nothing to do with him anymore. So he'll be ostracized to the point where his whole sense of community, as well as his social life, will suddenly be taken from him. In some cases, he will lose his family because not only will they want nothing to do with him, but they may do what some parents of Jewish Christians do. They actually hold a funeral for their child to symbolize that in their eyes, 
their Christian son or daughter is just dead to them. If he's a member of a Jewish synagogue, he will be excommunicated because of his faith in Jesus so that the community that helped to bring stability to his religious and his social life is now gone. And in the eyes of almost every Jewish individual he knows, he will forever be looked upon with disdain as a traitor, a turncoat, because in their eyes they feel as if in becoming a Christian, he has become a Gentile. Now, that they're wrong, but from their perspective, that means that he has turned his back on his people, his culture, his entire ethnic heritage, and he's rejected it all. And no matter how much this Jewish Christian affirms his Jewish identity to them, he will always be considered a non-Jew by the Jewish community. Now, in addition to the loss of his friends, the loss of his family, the loss of his social life, for a Jewish person to come to faith in Jesus may also affect him economically, Because he may find that some Jewish people don't want to do business with him anymore. They're just going to boycott him. And for most Jewish people, all of this is just too much for them. Even if they intellectually agree that Jesus is the Messiah, they may not be willing to pay this high of a price to become one of his followers. In fact, I can recall that soon after coming to faith in Jesus, I witnessed to my mom about the Lord. I told her about Jesus, and I found her surprisingly receptive to the gospel, to the point where she seemed to be in agreement with what I was telling her about the Lord. But open though she was, in that sense, she wasn't about to accept him as her Lord and Savior. Why? Because for her to accept Christ meant that she could lose everything that was dear to her, her husband, her family, her friends, her social life, her sense of community, the approval and the respect of her peers. And she wasn't willing at that point to give up all of that for Christ. Now, in light of how difficult it is for a Jewish person today to believe in Jesus, imagine how hard it was for the Jewish people of Christ's day to embrace him as the Messiah. We often don't think about this. But For them to accept Christ would mean not only losing their friends and loved ones, it would also mean defying their entire nation and their leaders, the religious leaders of their nation, because it was their nation and their leaders who had officially rejected Jesus as the Messiah and had accused him of blasphemy, of being a Sabbath breaker, demonic, a fraudulent Messiah, and because of this, they had him executed. Now, to get a little glimpse into what it meant for Jewish people of that day to go against their religious authorities by believing in Jesus, we're given some insight from an incident that took place during Christ's ministry recorded for us in John chapter 9. It's a story of how Jesus healed a man who had been blind from his birth. Now, this was a remarkable miracle, So remarkable that a comment is actually made about this miracle in John 9.32, saying, since the beginning of time, it has not been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. In other words, it's never been done. It's the most astounding thing they had ever heard of. 
So in light of such an amazing miracle, you would think that it would have resulted in scores of people coming to faith in Jesus. That wasn't the case, because what we read in John chapter 9 is that it only caused conflict between this man, his family, and the religious leaders. Let me read it to you, John chapter 9, 13 through 23. They brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. It was the Sabbath in the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes, I wash, and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes and he said he's a prophet? The Jews, and when John says the Jews, he means the Jewish leaders. The Jews then did not believe it of him that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight and questioned them saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents answered and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we don't know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him, he's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him, meaning Jesus, to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, John says, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. Now, what we read here, folks, reveals that the Pharisees had so much hostility towards Jesus that they were the ones who were actually blind. So blinded by their sin and hatred that they couldn't see what was obvious, that Jesus was the Messiah. And this miracle affirmed that. And in their opposition to Jesus, they said that anyone who confessed him as the Messiah, anyone who just spoke of him, that he, that he might be the Messiah, that person was to be put out of the synagogue. And for a Jewish person of that day to be put out of the synagogue meant that you were expelled and you were excommunicated. And not just from the synagogue, but from your entire Jewish world, the world that you grew up belonging to. You were now an outcast socially, economically, religiously. And this man's parents were so fearful of this happening to them that they refused to make even a suggested comment, anything positive that Jesus, you know, might be the Messiah. Now, if it was this hard for one Jewish family of that day to believe in Jesus, then imagine the formidable task facing the Apostle Peter as he stands on the day of Pentecost before thousands of Jewish people in the city of Jerusalem, many of them hostile towards Christ, many of them the same ones who only a few weeks earlier had cried out to Pontius Pilate, crucify him. And here stands Peter giving them a sermon, attempting to persuade them that the one they rejected and crucified is their Messiah. And you would think that Peter, knowing all of the obstacles, all of the challenges facing any Jewish person who would accept Jesus, you would think that he, he might have attempted to soft-pedal his words in order to just, you know, tone down the message about Jesus. 
or that he might have tried to make it as easy as possible for these people to accept Jesus as Savior. Or he might have removed anything in his sermon that might make them feel uncomfortable and uneasy. But that's not at all what Peter did. Not at all. Far from trying to make the truth about Jesus taste more palatable, Peter does just the opposite. He does everything he can do to make them feel uncomfortable by accusing them of being guilty of murdering their own Messiah, the one who is the Lord God. And this coming from Jewish Peter, Simon, son of Jonah. Notice what he says in verses 22 and 23. He said, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. He tells them that they knew about Christ's miracles. Many of them even saw Jesus perform these miracles, and yet they nailed him to a cross by the hands of lawless Gentile Romans. He goes on in verse 36 to say, therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, or Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Not only did he tell them they were guilty of turning him over to the Romans, but he dared to tell them that God holds them responsible for crucifying their own Messiah and Lord. Now, folks, Peter's sermon to us is a great reminder that we are called to proclaim Christ without any compromise or fear of consequences. We dare not dilute the truth about Jesus and man's culpability before God in order to make the gospel sound more appealing and more attractive, eternal souls are at stake. So we must tell them the whole truth about Christ because this is what they need to hear to be saved from God's wrath. They need to know who Jesus is. They need to know what he accomplished on the cross. They need to know their guilt before God. They need to know how to be saved, how to be rescued. They need that so they can be forgiven of their sins. That's exactly what Peter tells them in his sermon on the day of Pentecost. Now, since we have been engaged in studying this sermon for the last few weeks, I'm not going to take the time to review the details of what we have previously covered, but I do want to remind you that this was a sermon given by Peter for the purpose of explaining to the Jewish people residing in Jerusalem why they were hearing that day 120 Galilean Jews speaking of the mighty deeds of God in foreign languages, languages that they had never previously learned. Back in verse 12, the people asked this question, what does this mean? What Explain this to us. What's the interpretation? And in response, Peter representing the apostles, he gets up, he faces them, and he gives them a sermon explaining the meaning of this amazing scene. His sermon answers their question, what does this mean? And in the process of explaining that what they were hearing and observing was the fulfillment of prophecy from the Old Testament book of Joel concerning the Spirit's outpouring in the last days, meaning the days initiated by the Messiah's arrival, Peter brilliantly naturally transitions from this to explaining who the Messiah is. These are the last days, the pouring out of the Spirit proves it, 
The last days means that Messiah has come. Now, let me tell you who the Messiah is. He tells them that it is Jesus of Nazareth. And to prove to them that Jesus is the true Messiah, he presents in chronological order four stages of Jesus' earthly ministry. We've already looked at three of them. His life, his death, and last week we examined his resurrection. Now this morning we move on to the fourth and the final phase of Christ's earthly ministry as we see how Peter argues for Jesus being the Messiah by showing that Christ's exaltation following his ascension proves that he is the Messiah. Let's begin by looking at verse 33. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear having just explained to them that it was God who raised Jesus from the dead, Peter now tells them what happened to Jesus following his resurrection. He was exalted to the right hand of God, meaning he ascended to heaven and was exalted then to the right hand of God. So the question we need to ask and then answer is, what does the expression right hand of God mean? And why does Peter feel compelled to mention Christ's exaltation to God's right hand. After all, he's already given plenty of arguments from Christ's life and his death and his resurrection to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. Why does he need to say anything about his exaltation in heaven? Well, Peter knows exactly what he's doing. He is continuing to make his argument, this is still part of it, that Jesus is the Messiah. But note this, He's now about to take it one step further. Let me show you what I mean. The expression, the right hand of God, refers to the position of highest honor and authority. To be at God's right hand is the most exalted place in the universe because it is the place of greatest power. And Peter says that after being raised from the dead, Jesus ascended to heaven where God the Father exalted him to his right hand. Now look again with me at verse 33 and notice what Peter says Jesus did from his exalted position at God's right hand. This is what's most important. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. Now, do you realize what Peter is saying? This crowd of Jewish people had asked the apostles to explain the the meaning of 120 Jewish people from the Galilean region, explain why they're speaking in languages not their own. And Peter initially explained to them that this is the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy, that in the days of Messiah's arrival, God, he said, would pour out his spirit on all of his people. That's what verse 17, you can look at your Bibles and see verse 17. That's what he said. This is, this is the meaning. God is doing what he said he would do. He's pouring out his spirit on all of his people, not just the select group, not just like he did it in the Old Testament, just a few people got his spirit. Now all of his people are getting the Holy Spirit. Then Peter explained that Jesus is the Messiah and the miracles he performed, they prove it. The fact that God foreordained his death, that proves it. 
His immediate resurrection from the dead and fulfillment of David's prophecy in Psalm 16, that proves it. He's the Messiah. And now, now the fact that it is Jesus exalted at God's right hand, who is the one, he's the one doing the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, proves, watch this, that he is not only the Messiah, but he is the Lord God as well. That's what his point is. Joel's prophecy said that God would pour out his spirit. And in telling this crowd that it's Jesus who is pouring out the spirit, Peter is declaring that Jesus, the Messiah, is also the Lord God. He's God himself. That's Peter's point. When Peter says that Jesus received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he means that during his earthly ministry, Jesus had told his disciples that the Father, once he ascended, the Father then would send them the Holy Spirit. This was the Father's promise to them. For example, John 14, 26, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Again, in John 15, verse 26, when the Helper comes, that's the Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he'll testify about me. And though it was the Father who promised promised them through Jesus that the Holy Spirit would come. It was actually Jesus, the exalted one, at the right hand of the Father, who actually poured forth the Holy Spirit on this day of Pentecost. And this is precisely what Jesus told his disciples he would do. After his resurrection, he said this in Luke 24, 49, Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. He said, I'm sending the promise. The Father promised it, but I'm the one doing it. See, folks, Peter has now come full circle. Now come full circle in his sermon. Having started out by explaining that the miracle of Pentecost as God pouring out his spirit, Peter now says that it is Jesus who is responsible for pouring the Spirit out, meaning that Jesus is God. That's his point. And you know how we know this is exactly what he's thinking, that this isn't an interpretation imposed on the text? Notice the very next statement that Peter makes in his sermon about Jesus. Notice verses 34 and 35. He says, For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now, Peter first makes a statement. Notice the first thing he does, he makes a statement about King David concerning the fact that David has not ascended to heaven in a resurrected body because David has not been resurrected. Remember, we saw this last week. Peter said to them, David's tomb is with us to this day. His body is decaying. We have his remains. He wasn't resurrected yet. And now he's saying, because he wasn't resurrected, he he didn't ascend to heaven in a resurrected body. Having said this about David, Peter then quotes from the first verse of a very important psalm that David wrote. It's, It's Psalm 110. Now, I say it's a very important psalm because this psalm is quoted more times in the New Testament at least this verse, verse 1 of Psalm 110. It's quoted more times in the New Testament than any other Old Testament verse. 
We could spend quite a bit of time plumbing the depths of Acts 2.35 or Psalm 110 verse 1, but we're running out of time. So I'll just say that David's prophecy gives additional proof that Jesus is the Lord God and he is the Messiah. Pastor Steve Kreloff will dig more deeply into these verses when we return on the next Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you'd like to visit, you can find service times and directions on the website, lakesidechapel.com. Or you can call the office at 727-441-1714. You can also call that number if you'd like to have a free audio CD with Pastor Steve's entire message. Ask for message number 14, Peter's Sermon About Pentecost, Part 4. That phone number again is 727-441-1714 or visit lakesidechapel.com. Another audio source is the message archive page at versebyverseradio.org. You can go there to stream or download any of the hundreds of previous broadcasts in our library. And there's a giving page if you'd like to help support Verse by Verse Ministries. We give thanks for the generous listeners who help keep Verse by Verse on the air. The web address again is versebyverseradio.org. I'm Jerry Peterson. By this point in his sermon, Peter had made some powerful proofs. He has shown the people who killed Jesus that he was the Messiah by his miracles, by the way he died, by the fact that he rose from the grave, and by the fact that God exalted him. But Peter wasn't done. He said all of that to set them up for his next point. After Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com